Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Thursday, March 23rd, 2017 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca and everything in the world is scheduled for today. We will be offering team coverage of every development in the world today. This just in the day has been expanded to 43 hours to accommodate all the votes, arrests, attacks, hearings, murders in Kiev, boycotts, filibusters, Jewish community center bomb threats, and the secretary of energy weighing in on a student council election that involved the improper use of glow sticks. Okay, we won't get to that last one, though it actually happened. We have been told how they will fund the 43 hours. They're going to borrow it from the next seven leap days, you know, the day when we gain an hour. They're going to put that in a fund, hope it grows over time due to the miracle of compound interest, and perhaps future generations will make up the difference. We hope we're going to bend the time curve. But today, the big news was to be the vote on Trump care. Now, it turns out that is inaccurate. No, not the notion that Trump cares, the fact that there will be a vote today. Members of the Freedom Caucus couldn't get to yes, as their chairman, Mark Meadows, said. Maybe a vote tomorrow will happen, early tomorrow even. But I've been watching a lot of learned pundits making predictions about this bill's chances. Here was David Brooks and Helene Cooper the other week on Meet the Press. Do you think this bill is actually going to pass the United States Senate? I do not. Uh, It's hard to pass a health care bill. Everybody seems to be against it. I don't think it's going to pass. So sure, I do wonder about that a little, however. But uh, today, just today on CNN, they got a different panel of learned people, basically asked them the same question. Who among you thinks that this will pass tonight? Raise your hand if you think this passes tonight. (laughs) I think it passes eventually. I'm with Ron. Not tonight, eventually. Eventually, but not not tonight. All right. We'll take that to the bank. But take it it to a bad place in the Senate. Ron Brownstein, Rebecca Berg, David Drucker, great to have you with us. Interesting. Could be a long night that lasts several days, according <laughs> yeah. to them. See? See what I was saying? A long night that lasts several days. It's that 43-hour day. So buckle in. Hold on now. This just breaking. I'm being told the day will not last 43 hours. We are back to a 24-hour day. Sean Spicer is denying that detail, but several leaks contend the day is 24 hours, the sky is blue, and you can't insure sick people unless some healthy people pay. That's how insurance works. And the night, also the night, though full of terrors, will not last several days. On the show today, it was 87 years ago when Devin Nunez went to the White House. Oh, wait. Oh, my God. That was just yesterday. Well, we'll talk about that thing and how Nunez's nebulous muddying of the waters exemplifies a Trump technique and why that technique is working. But first, I'm joined by Sonny Bunch, who's an editor of the Washington Free Beacon. It shines for all, but mostly to the right. Sonny is a film reviewer and a conservative here to talk about how the culture of conservatism has changed. I'm here to tell you about one of the most attractive automobiles you're ever going to lay your eyes on. 
And it's not just how good it looks. It's everything that can do. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior, which won me over, is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with integrity using the most robust of materials. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Cargo capacity means you got room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to do what you do via your intellect, via your passions in life. It is to explore with greater confidence. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130 that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. You know, it's been a few weeks since we had a conservative, a bona fide conservative on the show. I mean, for all I know, a couple of the directors and uh, actors are conservatives. I think we could all admit that I'm lying about that. But I wanted to... Uh, invite a few more in and we'll be talking to old friends of the show jonah goldberg and rahan salam about specific issues but what i want to talk about is culture um culture writ large culture the culture of conservatism and the guy i follow on twitter and i've just been getting to know in our pre-chat is sunny bunch he's the executive editor of the washington free beacon uh, I also listen to him on the weekly substandard podcast where he discusses movies. Most of his byline stuff for the Washington Free Beacon is about movies. Sonny Bunch, uh, thanks for coming on The Gist. Thanks for having me on. Before, in our in our pre-chat, which uh, I found very lovely and amenable, I found you to be, oh, we talked you. about your background, uh, starting off at Roll Call and working at the Weekly Standard. And having the background in journalism, I think shows and helps no matter what ideology of the outlet that you're writing for. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, working at Roll Call was a great crash course for me uh, as as somebody who didn't uh, take any journalism classes in, in college. It's the sort of place where you have to make phone calls. You have to visit offices. You have to go to hearings. There are a lot of, I think, younger conservatives, especially who, you know, everybody wants to be the next George Will. Nobody really wants to be the next you know, guy turning out five bylines a week on the House Armed Services Committee. You know, it, it, so it's 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 a it, it's a great place to go uh, and learn. And I I did learn a lot uh, under Mort Kondracki, the, uh, the famously of the McLaughlin Group, sure. and, uh, Beltway Boys on Fox News and, uh, and elsewhere. And he was another guy who kind of got his start doing real reporting. He was he was a he was a beat reporter at somewhere in Chicago, I think. You know, he was always a guy who was turning out reported columns. He was turning out reported stuff. And I think that that is something that is often missing. Now that the White House is rewarding uh, so-called reporters from outlets that maybe popped up a week ago, and in some cases, you know, calling on just a guy who has his uh, Twitter uh, stitched onto his yarmulke, who it turns out is essentially... I don't know, reporting for one issue for one outlet that no one's heard of, or mm. maybe it's a Breitbart guy, but he doesn't really have a lot of journalistic experience, or this uh, the one reporter who went on the trip to Asia with Rex Tillerson. Um, now that, you know, that sort of journalist, quote unquote, is being rewarded with all this access, does that hurt in some way? The more, oh, I don't want to be so judgmental, but legitimate forms of conservative journalism? It changes 
the dynamic a bit, I think. You know, I mean, it, it, look, the you know, when I was at the Weekly Standard, I was at the Weekly Standard in 05 to 08. So, you know, there was a lot of access from, you know, guys like Fred Barnes could basically call up Carl Rove anytime and say, hey, you know, what's going on? At the Free Beacon now, it's a little bit different. We don't, we don't really uh, spend a lot of time uh, pounding the pavement to get, to get access to uh, uh, Bannon and Spicer and those guys. Does it hurt conservative journalism? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think if you do good work, people will find it and people will read it. And I don't think anybody is, you know, confusing uh, the Free Beacon for some of the uh, more fly-by-night operations. Really? I sometimes do. I mean, uh, well, I've, yeah. I've schooled myself, I've schooled myself, and I try to, uh, like, I, Breitbart's in one whole category, but there are a number of new conservative outlets, and I'm not sure I have the taxonomy down. Sure. Everyone uh, on the left, I would say, would talk about Breitbart's uh, pernicious influence and the dangers that Breitbart represents. Do you have any, uh, <laughs> do you subscribe to that at all? I don't want to uh, attack them. Uh, with a with a broad brush, and I do think that what happens a lot of the time is some of these overhyped, undercooked pieces mm-hmm. tar the rest of the organization and the rest of the kind of conservative media sphere with a with a broad and not great brush. Right now, I want to talk a little bit about uh, culture. So first of all, let's give our listeners a baseline of who you are and the sorts of you liked you liked Moonlight, right? Sure. I, I gave yeah. Moonlight a thumbs up on Rotten Tomatoes, three stars, three or four stars. Uh-huh. Um, I really like You the realize f- three out of four makes you uh, an enemy of liberalism <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Well, no, I know. I, yeah. I, did not, I did not gush praise over it. Uh, I'm with but, you. I started but, the show by saying, eh, I, you know, I liked all 14 lines of dialogue. I, I, the thing I really liked about I liked the first segment of Moonlight, the one with uh, Mahershala Ali, which I thought mm-hmm. was, I thought he, when, once he left the picture, it, Everything kind of came to a crashing halt for me anyway. I, I, maybe this is just because I like him uh, too much as an actor. I, I like Moonlight. I didn't love it. Uh, I thought La La Land was better. Am I now? Am I, am I off the air now? <laughs> uh, I thought La La Land was better. I, uh, but my, my two favorite films of last year were uh, Hell or High Water and Arrival. And you rev- will review a movie or assess any work of art uh, through your own lens. I mean, that's what a critic is meant to do. But would you say that if someone didn't know that you wrote for a conservative outlet, I mean, I, I would say that if your reviews ran in the Chicago Tribune, very few people would raise an eye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, what I try not to do, and this is sometimes a problem with cultural criticism on the right, is I'm not looking for things to be angry and aggrieved about. Art kind of exists in its own world, in its own vacuum, in its own bubble. And I try not to to pierce it with the blade of politics too often. The goal of a good critic, I think, is to look at a film on its own terms, not by the, the you know, whatever is making everybody angry. Culturally conservative used to mean Christian, or at least had a great overlap with Christian. And I'm sensing, and I think we're seeing in the Trump phenomenon, that that is not true anymore. Mm -hmm. I I think there's certainly something to that. One of the things that I think a lot of conservatives uh, who you had mentioned before were kind of put off by was the idea of this uh, man who has been divorced many times and, you know, is kind of a vulgarian of a, of a type, the short-fingered vulgarian, um, you know, I, I was it was off-putting and basically made us feel like, well, look, we spent, you know, eight years arguing that Bill Clinton was a bad person and therefore unfit to be president. How can we support this 
And I think, uh, you know, part of that, uh, part of the reason the, the religious right has less influence is because that idea has been shown to, I guess, really not hold sway anymore with, 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 in the era of Trump. Right. I agree with all that. But I think what I mean is something closer to if we talked about the culture and what is the culture of conservatives or the right, not that the right is irreligious uh, by any means, but the culture, it mapped onto what it, what a Christian culture was. But now, mm-hmm. if we talked about a notion of, you know, the right, what's the culture, I think about things like memes and thumb in the eye, Pepe the Frog stuff, and mm-hmm. just kind of being really consciously provocative and some sometimes, you know, horribly offensive in a way that Jesus would not subscribe mm-hmm. to. So I think that there's been a change in that kind of definition of the culture and conservatives. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, look, if you look at the you know, your alt-right meme artist types, I think that's totally true. Uh, you know, the question of whether or not those people are actually conservative is a, is a separate one. The Pepe guys aren't really, were, I wouldn't describe themselves certainly as Christian. And I think some of their power is a little bit overstated because, you know, we in the media spend so much time on Twitter. But also, I think you're right. I mean, I do think that the the animating idea of uh you know, a lot of a lot of what's happening right now has has no bearing to the religious right at all. Well, they might not be conservative uh, or other conservatives might not identify with them, but they are de- whatever liberalism is. They cast themselves as its opposite. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was thinking of this. Think about all the Harold Ramis films or all the Ivan Reitman films or just the animating idea of National Lampoon, all the slobs versus snobs mm-hmm. material that defined mass culture for 20 years in the 70s and 80s. Well, these days, the snobs are definitely the liberals. I don't Mm -hmm. know if the slobs are the conservatives, but the establishment has become the liberals. The dean of the... Dean Wormser these days would definitely be a liberal advocating safe spaces. Mm -hmm. So a striking out against liberalism, the, you know, what they would say is the oppression of of, uh, safe spaces and and microaggressions and all that, you know, striking out against that has really animated this version of the right or the Trump supporter. I do think there's some truth to that. I mean, and you can see it in some of the reactions to to the culture, right? The, The whole Ghostbusters controversy. Um, you yes. know, Ghostbusters is generally beloved by uh, people on the right and libertarian types. It's often described as one of the great libertarian films. The, the villain in that movie is a is an EPA official. You know, it's about small businessmen leaving academia to go, you know, make a profit in the real world, et cetera. So, like, there's this weird kind of ideological reason that people uh, that people love. Uh, Ghostbusters, and then you take you have. But this- by the way, let me just interrupt and say that's a little like the black people like watermelon idea, which is like everyone likes Ghostbusters and right, everyone right, likes right, watermelon. Right, but exactly. No, 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 totally. <laughs> In, and then you have the new one where it's you've got the gender swapping and uh, the kind of director going out there and saying, well, you know, you know, the, they don't like it because they're all racist and sexist, and you know, it, it, it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, certainly on the right. Part of this slobs versus snobs idea uh, is definitely kind of playing out in in what we see. So what I want to know is why are the liberal pieties more annoying or dangerous or oppressive than, you know, a lot of conservative or religious uh, pieties? Well, I think you we, we are in a situation now, or at least before the election of Trump, where you had you know, eight years of a democratic presidency with, I think we can agree, total kind of liberal control of the university setting. And uh, you see a lot of businesses kind of 
not kowtowing to the social the social justice mindset. I hate the term social justice warrior, but mm-hmm. there is there is a certain truth to that the the kind of crusading spirit that yeah. uh, that animates a lot of people on the left to say you know we have to boycott this thing if they don't if the company consorts with this group or we have to flood the the Twitter mentions of this organization if they don't fire this person or whatever. Uh, it it is very it's very uh, frustrating for I think a lot of people on the right to see happen. Um, and you get this kind of sense on the right that people were simply tired of it. You know, whether or not that helped contribute to the election of Trump, I don't know. But it's it's certainly out there. It's an idea that is out there. Well, again, I don't know. I think it may have contributed to it. And one of the reasons I think that is that every time something ridiculous happens with a, a protest on a college campus or, you know, someone gets called out for racism when they weren't racist, someone will tweet. See, this is why Trump won. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's almost become a meme in the opposite right now. This yeah, is it's why the Trump new won. "Thanks Obama." Yeah. Thanks yeah. Obama. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sonny Bunch is the executive editor of the Washington Free Beacon, and uh, the weekly Substandard is a podcast. He's on every week. They uh, talk about movies. It starts off with Bill Crystal, but he does say he has he bears no responsibility for what happens next. Hey, thanks, Sonny. Good to talk to you. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm Dr. Megan Sachs. And I'm Dr. Amy Sloshberg. And we're the host of the podcast Campus Killings. Our show covers some of the most sinister crimes to take place on or around school campuses. Or the cases we discuss have a school-connected theme. And with the new school year comes an all-new second season of Campus Killings, which will debut on September 16th, 2023. But if you want to listen to Campus Killings now, you can binge all the episodes from season one. Available everywhere you listen to podcasts. And now the spiel. Yesterday, House Intel Chair Devin Nunez went in front of the cameras not once but twice. The second time was outside the White House, the first time in the halls of Congress, and said this. So first, I recently confirmed that on numerous occasions, the intelligence community incidentally collected information about U.S. citizens involved in the Trump transition. Details about U.S. persons associated with the incoming administration, details with little or no apparent foreign intelligence value, were widely disseminated in intelligence community reporting. Third, I have confirmed that additional names of Trump transition team members were unmasked. And fourth and finally, I want to be clear, none of this surveillance was related to Russia or the investigation of Russian activities or of the Trump team. But what did it mean? Who were the sources? Am I proud to be an American or proud to be a U.S. person? And incidentally, incidentally, it was all very nebulous. But there is a man who knows no gray area, and he did not feel that way. Asked if he was vindicated about his allegations that the bad, sick Obama wiretapped Trump Tower, the titular Trump said, I I somewhat do. I must tell you, I somewhat do. I very much appreciated the fact that uh, uh, they found what they found, but I somewhat do. First thing is, he should not have. The claim was that Obama wiretapped Trump Tower. The counterclaim had nothing to do with Obama authorization or wiretapping or Trump Tower. Now, even if you substitute general surveillance for wiretapped, Nunez incidentally, incidentally, didn't say Trump was surveilled or his people were surveilled. He said that people were picked up in surveillance. The other thing I want to point out is I have never heard 
When a public figure has been asked, do you feel vindicated? I have never heard them say yes, or even somewhat yes. It's just one of those radioactive words. You always say, well, I wouldn't say vindicated, <laughs> but Trump says vindicated. Trump likes the simple statement. So eventually Nunez apologized for going outside his committee and right to the White House, which when you think about it is he took the information to the subject of his investigation and bypassed his co-investigators. So he apologized. But did you see how much explanation and context and embrace of the unknown clarifying the Nunez statement that took on my part. And maybe are you a little fuzzy on it? I'm a little fuzzy on it. It's inherently a little fuzzy. Now think how hard it would be for your average American who maybe doesn't pay tons of attention to the news or who statistics show doesn't listen to the gist. Imagine that person trying to parse this. And then CNN had another scoop or like a scoopy type thing. It wasn't a scoop. It was like one of those metal paddles they use at Cold Stone Creamery. They are dairy artists, those people. Anyway, here was CNN's attempt to advance the news, advance the notion based on reporting that there was interplay between the Trumpistas and the Russians. So Anderson Cooper introduced the report. CNN has learned new details of the FBI investigation into potential links between individuals associated with the Trump campaign and the Russian government. New details, potential links, associated. Hmm. Let's go to Pamela Brown. Let's get some clarity. Pam, first, what are you learning? Well, Anderson, the FBI has information that indicates associates of President Donald Trump communicated with suspected Russian operatives to possibly coordinate the release of information damaging to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Indicates associates suspected operatives. Possibly, officials told us. Right, that is certainly not clear enough, but she goes on. So the FBI is now reviewing this information, which includes human intelligence, travel, business, and phone records, as well as accounts of in-person meetings, according to the officials we've spoken with. And the information is raising the suspicions of FBI counterintelligence investigators that the coordination may have taken place. Raising suspicions, coordination may have taken place. And if all that needs some walking back, because she went out there with her language, Here's how she ends it. Officials we've spoken with cautioned that this information was not conclusive and that this investigation is ongoing. I have no reason to think that CNN got any part of that story wrong, such as whatever that story was. And actually, to be fair, I, I understood it. I did watch the clip a few times, um, but I kind of get what the allegation was. And I definitely understand the journalistic and national security considerations that got in the way of clear declarations, simple sentences. But compare that to Obama wiretapped Trump Tower. That has lots of nouns to focus on. You have a mental image or even the simple counter to that claim. No evidence of Russian interference. That's simple, too. That's graspable. It's wrong, but it doesn't hurt your head to try to figure out. And the real point of my playing that CNN clip was not to criticize the reporting of that CNN clip, but to point out why Trump has made the news media his enemy. Because they are fighting, the news media is fighting, using rules like sources and vetting and confirmation and standards, and he is fighting using no rules. Well, one rule, 140 characters, but you could thread your way around that. Imagine a boxing match. On one side, one of the participants, they're using boxing gloves. And the other side... Well, they say they might sometimes use gloves or you know what? Instead of gloves, they might go bare knuckled or better yet, they'll pick up rocks and hit you with the rocks, but tell you the rocks are gloves. And oh, by the way, the side that is wearing gloves, 
They didn't actually think they were a boxer in the match. They thought that their job was to be the referee. Would that be cheating? Well, if the sanctioning body decides it's not cheating, then it's not cheating. Wait, the Athletic Commission of the state of Nevada? Yeah, they said they were appalled by the guy who uses rocks as gloves. But you know what? He's got some good moves. He's kind of interesting. We think we'll stick with him. So at that point, the rock as gloves guy against the referee who didn't realize he was actually in the boxing match, there's only one thing that could stop the fight. And it's what the spectators think. Sure, a lot of the spectators are appalled, but a lot aren't. And some just want to see Rox's gloves guy bash the referee. What kind of idiot roots for the referee anyway? And some aren't all that concerned. They think all boxers try to get an advantage. I mean, one guy uses Rox's gloves. Another guy tries a kidney punch. Pretty similar. Also, who really pays that much attention to boxing anyway? It's very hard to follow. My point is that the media tends to confuse rather than clarify. And I hope my expansive, sprawling, and at times untamable metaphor brings that point home. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Mary Wilson can't wait to TP the office of that stuffy Dean. Chris Berube, just producer, bonded together with the other caddies and put a baby Ruth jar in the pool. Hashtag MAGA. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, toured the country as a roadie for the band U.S. Person and the Funk Immersion. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, wants to get to Yes. No, seriously, there's a Yes concert at Barclays tonight. He's got to get out of here by 7. The gist. I think those metal things are called spatulas. It just seems weird in the ice cream context, you know? Oomperu de Peru du Peru, and thanks for listening.